0: We are. Key Issue. Look at this. Look where we are. Um, I'm here in the stage. It's the station. It's the home of Definitive Film. Also, the Definitive Podcast. And this particular version of the Definitive... <laughs> this is a... People who are on audio don't know that I'm doing a dance move, and it's a good one. This is Key Issue, the Definitive Podcast, and I'm here with fellow definitive filmer, Isaac Elliott Fisher. Where are you, Isaac?
1: I'm across the room because I'm not sitting within a six-foot radius of you. Anti-social distancing. You know what? We would do this anyway, even if it wasn't a pandemic. I prefer not to be
0: around other people. You know that.
1: That's true. I know that.
0: Isaac, we're here to talk about... Comic books, key Mm -hmm. issue. There are comics that are considered key issues. Those key issues are collectible. And we're working with our good friends over at Cover Price to talk about things that we know about that we've learned in our jobs. If you were going to say why we know things about comic books that are key issues, how would you describe why would we deserve to be here being so-called experts talking about comic books?
1: Uh, Pure osmosis. We (laughs) we basically... Science. (laughs) Science. We uh, uh, soak in Mm -hmm. comic information and pop culture information uh, through basically the films that we create, which are... So we
0: make films about pop culture. And the first one that we made, we started way back in 2008. And it's about a subject matter that is a collectible comic well-known to people who are uh, collectors who look at 80s material, and particularly who look at independent 80s material. And it started there, but it exploded. It's the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And this collectible structure, this is actually, uh, it's responsible for definitive film in in a way, isn't it, Isaac?
1: It is. I mean, like, without that whole process, that whole project, we you know it was the the starting point of all of this it took 5 years to create that film so it was you know it was an intense an intense process to kind of bake us into something and i think uh a sort of an added thing that happened when we did that is we became it sounds it sounds like self-serving in a way but mm-hmm. it sounds like we're saying basically what i'm saying is that we became part of something because we we kind of snowballed so far down the mountain with this you know, documentary that we made. We kind of became turtle experts in a way. Not only just experts, but we kind of came part of the history of it in a way. So it actually kind of, we got baked in and it was a nice way to, again, become so entrenched with a pop culture thing that you kind of just know stuff about about it that are are kind of neat little tidbits. More to the point, I
0: had quit collecting before we started that. And the most disturbing aspect of this is I became a collector after we had spent all that time working on Turtles. I was not collecting during the entirety of the making.
1: To be fair, you actually kind of poo-pooed, if you will, the, I did. The, the, uh, I did. the fetishization of things that we were around because we're around also big time collectors and they have yeah. some, you know, we love what they have. It's really cool. But you were like, eh, I don't really want to get back into this what, world of and, collecting. And why do you think I didn't want to get back into collecting? Because <laughs> you'd gone down that rabbit hole before. Yeah. You know how deep it goes. And I
0: had, I had <laughs> bought and sold collections over the years, yeah. collections of albums. Collections of comic books, collections of paperbacks and pulp paperbacks and artists that I liked that did paperback covers. And yeah. so I had been around that block for years and years and years. And when you, I'll admit it, that you sort of pulled me back in specifically through acquiring some of the things that you were interested in with Turtles. And I don't even know if you were collecting at that time. I think, did it not begin with that?
1: The uh, yes and no I think that the whole well I think that the doc that we ended up making the Turtles doc started with me recollecting or becoming a collector of things because I think it was through film school that I started <coughs> thinking about stuff that I liked as a kid and then coming back to those franchises specifically the Turtles and because I came in the, came up in that exact right time of in the late 80s early 90s in Canada that that was really important to me as a toy franchise, as a cartoon franchise, but I didn't know the comics as a kid. And we can get into that a little bit, but it was kind of a neat thing to then come to it as an adult and go, oh, here is where this all came from. And that was kind of it, that that rich, deep history that you can kind of sink your teeth into and go, oh man, there is so much more here that I didn't even know.
0: The interesting side of that is from a collectible perspective or or, or in terms of being a collector, you were lucky enough to become a collector from the inside out, and that's what got me back in, in a sense that we were collecting to get material to make a documentary. That's right. And in the acquiring of the materials yeah. we needed, it woke the dragon, and now here we are trapped. Exactly.
1: I mean, I think really what's sitting right in front of you on that table, there's an issue that's the third printing of the first uh, Turtles yeah. book. Let's from, get an overhead look yeah. if we could. And that book specifically, I bought at Silver Snail in Toronto, I believe for like $40. And I think people were like, whoa, <laughs> you overpaid. Because it was pretty rough. But You're talking about this one that here. That one right in front of you that's signed by both Kevin and Peter. Now, that the, the nice thing about that is that it was a reader issue. I could read yeah. it um and i also when we started working on the documentary within uh probably a year or so from me buying that maybe two years from me buying that that i could actually get it then signed by kevin and peter and it can kind of be lugged around in the camera bags and, and i think that the the um the interesting thing about that though is that when, like you say you're around it and then you know you're with kevin and peter for you know a long time and some of these fans as well who are collectors you start actually accruing more of this stuff. Of course, you're looking for it and you're buying it in, in stores, but also some of the issues that are also sitting in front of you, you know, we were handed those. We were given these these highly collectible and sought after things. But
0: that's not, I think I can speak for both of us when I say that's not what pulled us in. No, gosh. What no. happened was, and why we're doing this key issue podcast. We do this anyway in our lives to make the docs. And really what it is, is what is the reason that these things are important? Why is this a key issue? It's easy to go to eBay or whatever and not really understand why a comic is worth more money than a comic on the shelf. If you don't know anything about comics and you go and you find, I don't know, Hulk 181 or something. um You know, pick pick a, let's not use that one. Pick a title and you say, why is it worth more? It's old, it's kind of beat up. In the case of the way we approach these, it's provenance. We could see what it was that made a title valuable because it was valuable to our documentary. That's right. And the interactions we had with the creators and sort of, this is where you're not wanting to be arrogant. Being on the inside of the story allowed us to have a perspective on some of these, issues and, and, and titles and it, and even collectible art or whatever, and sort of see the the rest of the iceberg that's under the water. And and that's when we began to understand, I think, speaking for both of us, that we began to say, okay, this is why these are valuable. And there is a reason to collect them beyond the just the number, the money. And,
1: and I think what's interesting, and, and I think it's maybe what part of what we kind of hope to achieve some in some ways with our documentaries is bringing, as you often use the word providence, but I think that it's- Provenance. Provenance, sorry, not providence, like where we live. God, providence. Right. Uh, But the, uh, when you look at some of the stories or the stories we've collected over the years behind specific issues, there might be something that makes something a key issue to you or I or another collector that doesn't necessarily increase its value per se. Now, maybe with the- and you know, by spreading some of those stories and talking about some of why some something is important, maybe it does bring up the value, and that's a good thing. And um,
0: that's what, that's thus the show. We're that's, going that's to talk about things that we've collected and things that we haven't, or things that we're looking for. And we're gonna sort of build the case why some things are valuable. And with our friends at CoverPrice, we can look at what the market is. Yep. And we use CoverPrice, coverprice.com, C-O-V-R-P-R-I-C-E.com. Mm-hmm. Both Isaac and I find it, a- <laughs> thousands of people, find it an incredible resource. You I, like it visually as oh, well. I was right? just
1: going to say that I love the interface of this, this site. I love a site that I can pull up and go to a title, well-organized, bring up that title, and then in one page I can scroll down yeah. and look at every single cover, the, the number, the year it was made, and the estimated raw value up and down percentages just in that first page alone without digging any deeper. Love this. This is so useful.
0: So it sounds like an ad. This is not an ad. We're not sponsored by CoverPrice. We're working with CoverPrice. Legit love it. And we love the guys over there. So let's get right into it. Let's do it. We have to start with what we started with back in the day. Um, And that is when we first started making the documentary, we wanted to start the documentary by talking about the conditions that that first book came out of. Where did Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1 come out of it. it came out may 84 but what was happening prior to that that you know informed kevin and peter and informed the sort of the decision making or even the unconscious decision making that created that that comic and maybe this is more my area than yours considering you were born 1 year after this came out <laughs> Um, so I'll hit that and, and you jump in. Isaac, um, although he's younger, he had to become expert in a lot of this material. And he's the kind of uh, filmmaker that, uh, you know, he's not just a DP, he's a production designer. So he wants to, and, and he's also a nostalgia junkie. So he's gonna soak in a lot of that material because we have to utilize that when we're shooting. But very quickly, and, and I'll make this personal because that's sort of what is important for me is, I'm a, I'm a comic kid always had comics literally they were part of my life from the time i can remember comics period and i was lucky enough that an older kid in our town uh his name was mark baker he had all the x-men from one imagine and in 78 79 i was reading i was going to his house and reading his x-men and that was a really nice time to get into comics because you know you you start to see a change in comics particularly in the x-men the X-Men were rejuvenated in the late 70s, mid to late 70s, and you see the character Wolverine was, was for me, uh, and that's Hulk 81, that's 75, but as you go into the late 70s, right around the time I'm becoming a teenager and hitting high school, you've got 1980, you've got Dark Phoenix. You also have David Boswell's Canadian comic, Reed Fleming, World's Toughest Milkman. That's a black and white comic, a very gritty, funny, goofy, independent comic, and then in 81, Frank Miller's Daredevil. And Frank Miller's Daredevil is absolutely critical to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He starts writing and penciling in issue uh, 1968, issue 168, and it becomes stressful, I think, if he was here now, he would say, yeah, I could handle it. But I think it's difficult to, to pencil and write at the same time. And Klaus Jansen came in. His inker started to have more and more of an impact. And so you see into 81, Miller's run. He brings in Electra. You have a lot of stuff happening in that title that's very influential in comics. Around the same time, you have Chris Claremont in Days of Future Past, and you have the X-Men really soap opera style and this idea of mutants and the idea of a a team of misfits. You see where we're going with this. The idea that the mutants become so popular and it was infused in culture and every kid who loved comics was snagging those issues. You know, I believe it's 141 uh, is um, the critical X-Men comic and this is not about X-Men, but you start to see in 1981, Comics are exploding. And in 82, DC is having to start paying royalties because there are are comic talent that are jumping over to first Pacific and Eclipse and you have a guy like, um, I've just lost his name, Dave Stevens, right? The beautiful uh, art that Dave Stevens did in Rocketeer. And you see things happening in comics where some outsiders are coming in. So we're all building up to this time where there's a certain type or a certain feel of comics. And Isaac, you were looking at some of Dave Sims stuffs so with uh, Cerebus.
1: Well, I've actually got th- uh, three or four different things open here on Cover Price that I was looking at in, in relation to the time, like the, that, as you're talking about, that kind of the time that Kevin and Peter were coming up in. And you've made mention a lot of the, the mainstream, the A list comics. Exactly. Um, that well, except they- for Reed Fleming. Right, that they were reading obviously, and like New Mutants, uh, mm-hmm. that was a big thing for them as well. And but I think the the important thing that was also happening at that exact same time was this birth of underground, homemade, handmade comics like Cerebus that had been going since the seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, that by this point, by say eighty three, eighty four, they he was al- Dave was already f- uh, um, issue forty seven, forty eight. Yeah in the late uh, 1983. So he was... Well, also
0: Canadian, by the way.
1: Also Canadian, just not like, too far from yeah, where we are.
0: Just like Dave Boswell. Yeah.
1: Richard and Wendy Peeney, they had Elfquest at the mm-hmm. same time. That was also early se- or mid 70s up to by the mid 80s or early 80s. Mm-hmm. There were six, a- issue 16, 17, 18. And then of course, Fabius for Freak Brothers and uh, Kitchen Sink. That's way course. back. Dennis All this stuff. stuff. Yeah, Dennis yeah. Kitchen stuff. So this, this super gritty underground thing... That was black and white, was happening, but not huge yet. And then that
0: that kind of, I don't want to call it punk rock, but we did when we made the doc. Yeah. There was a punk rock feel, and and some of that started to infuse because DC was getting competition. Uh, Marvel and DC were getting competition from these smaller labels things started to change. So Marvel put out a graphic novel series. The first, I think they were called Marvel Graphic Novels. And that's 82, God Loves Man Kills and New Mutants, which by the way, that title is pretty hot again right now. And then in 82, Daredevil 81, Bullseye Kills Elektra. That's a Miller thing. And that's also the same year that uh, Frank Miller and Chris Claremont put out that Wolverine miniseries. Coincidentally, Isaac, that's the same month when they finish that series, that's when the Masters of the Universe mini comes out from DC. Right. That's '82, and you had a really interesting kind of situation into '83. Howard Chakin does American Flag, sexy, very gritty, and very pen. You've seen the pen, the pen pencil work that was very. Um, some some found it off putting. I really liked it. It was a bit splotchy. And then Frank Miller did Ronin that July, and that's then. That's filling up, yeah. Boom, we get into 84 and we see May of 84 outcomes this issue. And
1: um, I mean, so, I mean, yeah, it was sitting on top of like Ronan's, I think the most on the nose, you know, the on the nose on the cover thing that they were pulling from. Obviously, when you look at the cover of Frank Miller's Ronan. Um, well, it, it, yeah, <laughs> they it, I mean, I think that. Even if Kevin Peter, they were more
0: Kirby guys. I think did yeah. they not say that uh, they loved Commandy was was Kevin's um, favorite? I mean, yeah,
1: Ke- Kevin's thing was Commandy from Zero, and like obviously when Kevin met Peter in person for the first time, he comes over to his house and he's got a page, a penciled page from the Losers, um, penciled by Jack Kirby, and of course poof, head explodes. That's yeah. like his jam. But I think that it's it's as much as Kirby gets put on the pedestal. For everybody, of course, obviously, but in the terms of Turtles itself, they for sure were pulling in a ton of of other reference, obviously. So uh, with with Ronan because that of the Ronan cover, cover, the title block, at, yeah. even the title of Turtles is yeah. it's the same title block. The and thing the, about the Miller is, though, um
0: he, if you look at Frank Miller, that darkness, yes, it's appealing to some. I loved the darkness. That's why I didn't respond to that first Turtle comic when it came
1: out. It was. It was seen to be jokey. Right? Well, I thought it was jokey. I think from that's what I think that's what's interesting because of course you're a young adult reading that for the first time and going, yeah. you're seeing the you're seeing the joke. But if I came at it as a kid, I don't yeah. think I would get why this is a comment on something. And I don't even know. I don't even know. Yeah. Having interviewed them obviously many times over the years, I don't even know if they believed it was a joke. I think they were truly pulling or you know paying homage to their... Well, their and, and I know they're it. Stick, splinter, foot, See, hand. To a degree, maybe there was some taking the piss out of it for sure. But I think at the same time, it's that joke within so much reverence. Like they loved what what they were reading so much that they're like, oh, wow, watch this. We can one-to-one or A and B these things. And I think you're right. It is a joke, but I don't think it's a joke. Ha, ha funny. It's like a they were... They were putting it in there because they really loved it and they really respected it, and you know they were trying. I don't know if they would necessarily say that they were trying to ride on the coattails of it, but it was obviously part of the No, I wouldn't say it that price. way.
0: <laughs> well, let's let's talk, let me tell my story of why I don't have the what is it six thousand? No, six. Sorry, sixty thousand dollar nine point eight. Uh, six zero thousand. In in cover price. Wow. If you had a nine eight of this. Uh, let's get Nick the overhead, please.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, this is a second printing, right? And yeah. Beautiful we'll condition. talk about how you got the second printing. Let's talk about why I don't have a first yeah. in perfect condition. Um, cover price list. If you had a 9.8 of the first, the sales average is 71000 I said sixty. I was off. Right. It's 71000 but it could go as high as ninety. apparently. There have been sales up that high. That's a 9.8. It's very rare. 3000 came out. Um, it's a black cover, and black covers are very hard to keep clean. Black covers get damaged easily. Now, the one that Isaac has here, again, we'll talk about that story. It has a slight nick on the bottom, which is disruptive. But otherwise, this has a really nice provenance to it. It's hard to keep a black comic pristine. I walked in the store that day. You're going to notice if we put it beside a a more regular comic, it does not match. So... I walk into, in I believe it was after May of 84, but it might have been towards the end of May 84. I go in to get my stacks, and I think I even went in to get uh, a, a Teen Titans, te- Tales of the Teen Titans turned into New Teen Titans or something like that. Anyway, I went in to get that, and this comic didn't fit in the stacks. This comic wouldn't sit in the racks that are set up in a comic store. And I was going to the Silver Snail in Toronto. It's not any longer where it was. It's now, you know, in the center of town and probably suffering like everyone with pandemic. But this comic was sitting by the cash register and it's oversized. Do you want to tell
1: quickly why it's oversized? It's, I love it. It's just a mistake. It was literally, and it's that whole, we're doing this ourselves. We went to a local printer of course we can. Why can't we do this ourselves? They borrowed a few thousand dollars from their uncle. Quentin. And, and they they print, you know, uh, how many issues? Is it a few thousand. I think was it was
0: 3,000, he said.
1: Yeah, it was 3,000. They had a bunch of boxes in their house in Dover, New Hampshire, you know, and they were like sitting on them and going, oh, man, what do we do with all these? Um, and yeah, it was just slightly oversized because... They sent it to a printer who had never done comics before, but they're like, yeah, sure, we can do this. They, they brought him a comic. Here's what a comic looks like. And yeah, that's the right paper. Okay, here you go.
0: And was it not the case that there were a few
1: um, specific stores that got behind it? And we went to the one. Was it called Jetpack. Jetpack, yeah, I think that they did, they got behind them and did kind of a signing mm-hmm. and they did some, you know, t shirt iron on stuff. I'm not sure if that was already at the same time, but they had some like, you know, merchy I think, kind yeah, of stuff. I think
0: very early on, Jetpack yeah. got behind them, but also the Silver Snail in Toronto. Mark Asquith was general manager and a tastemaker. He instructed me to buy it. And I thought it was a bit of a scam. I thought it was a joke. I knew that it was based on uh sort of the frank miller you I mean you pick it up and thumb through it and you see it immediately
1: yeah
0: and i i discarded it. i i did buy one later but i didn't keep it it wasn't important to me and at the time fool more fool me but i, I did like it and as a uh, sort of visually, it reminded me of the other indies. I just didn't like that it was jokey. You know, I wanted Sturm and Drang. I wanted the soap opera. I wanted that very serious feel. And this felt like it was teasing something that I thought was important. But this this comic sold out very quickly. And that's when this sec- second printing came out. Do you remember what the run was on the second printing?
1: I don't. I don't know if there's numbers in here, but I, I do remember the... I'm trying to remember the numbers off the top of my head because Kevin had you know these handwritten notes that we went over that were like they wrote down well wait a minute if we you know sold this many this is how many pre-orders we have yeah. on this issue that was they were getting onto their second issue at that point and you know we could do that many pre-orders we could actually split the profits from that and actually pay our rent and make a living doing what they want to do which was write and draw comics so it was. It was a big jump up, I know, from the 3,000, mm-hmm. but once they got into the second issue, they could literally, I think it was like $2,000 each that they could take home at the end of the day. Yeah, he
0: had a number, didn't he? Yeah,
1: it was it was a specific number that, that came down to, whoa, we can actually have this much profit if we just do this every so many months.
0: This comic, probably in and around a 9092, is maybe $860. It could be a little higher. I, I'm not good at grading. That's something I'll say. But can you tell your story of provenance,
1: how you got this? Well, basically, when we were filming the the first Ninja Turtles documentary, Kevin is an amazing, Kevin Eastman is an amazing um, archive keeper. Like he is just meticulous with keeping everything very well organized. And at the time, he owned a building in Northampton, Massachusetts, that was an old bank. And it had um, this little tiny vault in the back. And the kind of the the rare rarer stuff or the more uh, precious stuff to him was locked in this vault. So we we did this sort of f- shoot where Mark Hussey and myself were kind of stacked on, on top of each other filming through the doorway um, while he kind of goes through boxes and stuff like this. And, and we were shuffling photos and archives out the door for Mark's wife, Sarah, to be scanning. Um, and on the shelf, kind of built-in wooden shelves, he had issues of the, the big, the oversized issues. And the oversized issues are one, two, three, and four, and the Raphael one-shot.
0: And let's get the overhead here. Yeah, and, I'll and pull you'll them see. Out. These are the actual ones. Yeah, these are the
1: actual ones. So that's that's a second printing of number two. That's a first printing, or sorry, a fr- second printing of number one. A first of first two first First printing of number two, and a first printing subsequently of, of three, four, and the one-shot. And, and these are untouched, untouched. right? Untouched. So basically what these are, are ones that Kevin had kept since the early 80s, Unsold, so these would have come out of the boxes. They would have been his personal stash of the of the those runs, those print runs, those first print runs. This
0: three is pristine, dude. Like it is yeah, absolutely gorgeous. crisp.
1: Yeah. So he gave us this set. Um, there was an additional one in there that's no longer here, um, which I feel sad about. But we're
0: going to talk about that in a minute.
1: Yeah. But it, though that set, he handed us said, here, here, just you know, take these with you, and uh, and um, among a few other things. But that. Um, that was pretty cool because those aren't even sold. So they were, you know, in my books, as pristine as you can get because they really hardly ever touched, you know, human hands had hardly ever touched them over the years because so, they literally sat in his shell. So let's, let's hit that
0: other story just quickly. What is it that makes these good? But before we say that, this mm-hmm. wasn't
1: the first thing they ever did, right? No, that's they, right. They had a dry run or two. So they did, well, more or less like one. They got <laughs> together to create a little comic illustration company or illustration company they would actually hire out themselves to be illustrators for different things and in the, in doing that they did set up um, a very small self-printed xeroxed thing where they kind of took a kind of a combination of a few different comics they had done individually, and I think maybe one or two things that they had done Mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were issue one and two of a book called Gobbledygook, and it sort of was as silly as the title. There's a bunch of these little stories in there, um, sci-fi, fantasy, weird stuff.
0: Now, let me jump in quick. If people go to Cover Price and look up Gobbledygook, Mm -hmm. they won't see this this issue. They'll see the one that was done later, I think two or three years later.
1: They reprinted it. Eventually, they just reprinted it like a comic. But this Mm -hmm. was actually even smaller. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was like, you know, legal pad paper folded to create this almost square. Um, It wasn't a comic shape at all. It was more of a square. And it literally was Xeroxed. So the issue, the problem with that is that you can never truly know if it's an original one, unless you get it from Kevin or Peter.
0: It is potentially the most counterfeited comic, obviously. I'm sure someone will argue with me. Mm. Uh, the thing about that one is, and we won't, we won't cut to it, the, the other one is color. You can see it. It looks radically different. It's, it's, a, comic it's a comic book. It's a comic book. But that photocopy,
1: Yeah. he handed you one. No. Didn't he? That was a different time altogether. Kevin actually handed another individual a pair while we were filming the well, first. Well, I'm
0: not, I was going to talk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going to talk about that separately. Separate.
1: No, but, I wasn't until years later. I got my copies from Peter. I'm sorry. Right? Mm-hmm. So Peter gave That's us. right. And that was unexpected. That was a scenario where we were filming with him uh, the second time that That's we were filming right. with him. That's and, right. and he did actually, And that filming, was very special because those original comic books, this is something worth noting, the original run of turtles, they were drawn on what was then known uh, and no longer exists. It was a paper called Duo Shade Paper. And um, it was a Zipatone, built-in Zipatone um, shading ability within the pad of paper. So they would buy one big sheet, cut it into mm-hmm. three, that would give them three pages on one sheet plus a little extra. And what would happen is once you penciled and inked your your piece, you could then use two different chemicals that would expose crosshatch lines in a lighter gray and a darker gray. So the first books were done in this way all on one piece. So like that Zipatone was all in that, that same piece that um, sure. process was shown to us by Peter. The time that we were filming with him, that he gave us those gobbledygook books. Um, and he actually had a sheet left of this stuff, the chemicals left of this stuff, uh, brought it out. And my favorite part of that, when we filmed it, because we never actually got a chance to use this in a documentary, but we have the footage. Maybe um, we should show some. We here. should show some, yeah. Uh, and what he, what he did, which was so funny, is he also had a stack of the original drawn pages from, I want to say book three or four. I can't remember exactly. But he basically takes that page and goes, here's the size of our page, lays it down on this big board of, of original duo shade, pencils around it using the original page as it's as a template and you're like just yeah just like this then he cuts it out and then he did this beautiful rendering of of a a head-to-toe Donatello um, inked penciled inked and duo uh, duo shaded um, you know which we filmed and he he gave to us as well and that was a really special time because Mm -hmm. he was this was we were the second time into his studio they got the feeling that, oh, these guys are serious, they're making a documentary that is that is they started to feel that that we were trying to make a documentary that paid them and the franchise a lot of respect. And
0: this was this is the weird thing about that gobbledygook. Right now, if you have a gobbledygook and you try to sell it, you have to get Peter or Kevin and you won't yes. get Peter. No. You have to go to them and you have to get it verified. And we actually
1: saw someone get one verified. That's right but he it was verified because he actually got it from Kevin. See, I don't think Kevin or Peter will will verify it for you unless they gave it to you. Oh, is that right? Well, cuz they have no way of knowing either. Nobody knows. I thought there was
0: a a trick that mm, I, I, I seem don't, to remember Kevin saying there was something I
1: there might have been like he might I, I don't know remember. if you, if he could if he could tell you by what the way, paper.
0: If you find it you just found about $34,000.
1: Yeah, and I, I wish that Don't, we still had it. We can't, <laughs> we can't go there. No, we won't go um, there.
0: Let's just say Trouble Up Mill, Why not cross beam's going to skew on Threadle. Um, there were a couple other weird collectible things that came out. Uh, the Turtles, these titles became popular immediately. That's they, right. It, you couldn't get them. Obviously, first printing was gone, yeah. and kids weren't. Parting with that first printing, the second printing, and then there was a subsequent. I believe there's a third. Was there
1: not? Oh gosh, yeah. There's actually more because by by the the third printing, which is sitting in front of you there with yes. the, the two signed uh, signatures this on it, one here. that was the last printing that was done of the oversized. After that, when they actually reprinted the whole f- um, the whole first four and the and the one shot again as normal size a- and comics. you'll
0: notice this third is not the same size as the first,
1: uh, nope. isn't it?
0: Nope. It's different again.
1: Wow, it's slightly again, but it's still large. And then you you might- Yes, it is large. That, that's a subs- that, that 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 one you just stacked on top is yes. like a much well, much later. But you
0: could also get fooled if you were out trying to buy a one. Yep. Right? You could oh, get I've fooled been, by this. I've been
1: fooled by other comics that's accidentally right. doing that, buying those ones that are like exact replicas. Yes. I, I bought a Vampirella number one thinking, oh, what a great deal. Never mind. Um, <laughs> and, and I believe so, this came
0: out in 2009. That's right. That one there.
1: But and, I mean, they, they've, they've reprinted number yeah, one. Many, many times. Many, many, but, many times. But,
0: well, you want the first, but that second, it is dropping in value as of March. 2020 obviously pandemic mm. but also i think when there's nothing happening in the franchise or when right. people think there's nothing the values drop the values do not drop for turtles one first no. printing yes that is what it is that's
1: because it's so few it's underground it you know they're they're they they like a few thousand copies of something like that there's just so few in existence yeah. left they didn't even sell all of them no they may have sold most of them but there was only so many under 3,000 that were out in the wild, so to speak. So yeah, something like that has got a very, very hard set price. Now, like you say, the other things after that are going to go up and down. But that first five, basically it's first four numbers, but five right. um, oversized are probably going to always be in that bracket of, um, of higher value because of the fact that that was, that represents the time that it was literally them out of their you know very small home office that eventually became a small little rented space. So
0: before we switch to a couple other, you know, subsequent things Mm. that are collectible and interesting, what do you think it is aside from limited number, 3,000 in a run is not much. Mm -hmm. What makes it valuable? Like, obviously it's the first of something, obviously it's limited in value, but but there are limited in number, but what else do you think contributes to its value?
1: I It's, well, it goes without saying that the, Overall success of the never-ending quote evergreen pun intended um, franchise obviously props this up as like oh and it came from this right because like, even the the biggest of the big superheroes came from an established system that was already there DC mm-hmm. or Marvel this came from two guys in their living room and it was two guys in their living room that were head and shoulders in my opinion above. Their their contemporaries that were also doing it out of their living room. They they were doing something a little bit different. They had something um, there. Uh, you know, it's that something. It's the elusive something. But, but to me, if I was going to uh, isolate, like take this take
0: the backstory and all that out, mm. the layouts are really interesting. They're That's what obviously I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's something influenced. artistically
1: there. There's something artistically, and I think that it, it, that a good way to kind of show the how much they were really cooking with you. I love that page. Stop yeah, I'm just gonna that, change change I'm just gonna change gears just slightly a moment here. Is that the page that you just stopped at there is important for a specific reason. This one. That that one there. The yeah. one that you're yeah, you're pointing out the, the empty street. There there was an actual argument in the earliest days where Kevin and Peter disagreed on let's let's have a page. Kevin wanted to have let's just have a page right here where nothing is happening. They've they've sunk back into the sewer manhole, they've closed the manhole, and mm-hmm. before we go to the next scene, which is them sitting in their living room, let's just cut back to a whole page of just the street and Peter's like oh no it's a waste it's a waste of page and Kevin insisted and then they get went ahead and put it in and Peter's like oh Wow, that actually really works. That pacing calms out the you know this this you know brings you off of this whole and, fight they just had, comes into this nice big open wide shot like a movie. And, and come, that's exactly what I want to jump that's in. That's right. Like. This and, is
0: where you see the movie of that's it. That's
1: right. it's the movie, and it is the magic of that friction of two people, two creative mm-hmm. people working together, that that friction creates the better the better art at the end of the day. And it was those early issues that you really see Kevin and Peter. You don't know where one you know begins and one oh it's ends totally off. chocolate and it, peanut butter. It's both of them. Yeah, yeah. It, they're inking and penciling but on every you page. Go. Yeah, that's, that's a very, Miller, right? That's a Miller, and a yeah, Miller, chart.
0: and and Jansen. But yeah. what you see is. I mean, obviously they love TV, they love movies. They're infusing these panels, yep. but they're obviously students of Kirby as well, right? So, that's right. and of and, course, it's dedicated to Kirby and Miller.
1: Well, and yeah, and, and they were, and that's just it. They said that right up front. They're not, they're not hiding it. No. And and the other thing that that I was going to make mention of is that of course, of course, those of of us who have read, well, most people know this by now, but you know, they kill off the villain in the first issue. It it has this kind of like finality to it in the very first issue. The what what I was you know getting at was that the first issue and the second issue and part of the, the Raphael one shot and a little bit after that, that's the content that really, for all intents and purposes, became the first movie. So when you look mm-hmm. at even the story that they were telling at the time, the first Ninja Turtles movie became one of the most successful independent movies of all time. Um, when it came out, most of that content came from this, these first few issues. But So even the story that they were telling obviously had weight there that, that the director and the writers worked with.
0: But even before that, there were a few other interesting collectibles. We didn't bring it, but the Palladium game, right? Well, the Palladium game That's is... That's pretty it, interesting. Yeah. And was, collectible.
1: So, so let's just, let, let me just give a little overview so, so we don't get too far <laughs> into the weeds without going, hey, there's a lot here. That's the problem with Turtles is there's a ton yeah. of Turtles, right? This, we could do this as multiple episodes. We could do this all week. Like, and, and the palladium book, specifically as you bring up, is an important stepping stone in the history of the franchise because it represents pretty much the first licensed product outside of Mirage, which was just yeah. the, these this, you know, Kevin and Peter, that then they added a few of their friends, high school friends and a few people they knew and people they met at conventions, became a little ragtag team of, of people that carried on partying and, you know, creating comic books together in their little, you know, downtown office. And two of them are still there now, you know, what, we've we, 40 some, almost, almost 40 years later. 400 years later. 400 years later. Um, point is, Palladium Books is a great example of, Somebody comes in from the outside and says, hey, there's something here. Let's make a role-playing game book and some little lead figurines um, to go with that because that was a a big thing at the time. Palladium Books was doing a lot of of RPG books, obviously going backwards, Gary Gygax, D&D, that whole thing, go forward. So that, from there, it was obviously not until Mark Friedman at Search Licensing comes in, becomes a marketing agent, sells the whole thing, it becomes the turtles, the toys, the cartoon. But you the crazy part is, is that from 19, when that book comes out in 1984, the first cartoon comes out, launches Christmas 1987. So that's only a couple of years in there because if you work back from when the cartoon comes out, there's, there's a year or more of development. So from 84 to say 85, 86, they were just, that was the only time they were just really just doing this by themselves out in the wilderness. And then all of a sudden they were noticed, picked up boom, everything goes. But if you look at
0: Kevin Cimbiata, who who had that book, who had that uh, Palladium Games, he had been early into Dungeons and Dragons. Had he not put out, um, you know, he had put out a few things like he was very, obviously very thoughtful and he got in early enough. And you can buy a first edition of that role-playing book for like 40, 50 bucks. Yeah. And that's a really good collectible that not a lot of people would pick up. It has a a cover artist. I'm not going to remember the guy's name. Eric, do you remember his name? I don't off the top of my head. Widjik or something. Eric Widjik.
1: And they added some stuff to it. They added some. They were starting to, because that's the thing is that, we'll get into that in a minute, is that the Turtles is so, you can literally do anything with them. And Kevin and Peter established that in the second, third issues there, um, is that, They went. Oh well, we can have this wacky monster, this crazy thing, because anything could exist in this universe. And Kevin and Peter, without necessarily meaning to, gave the world that license by, by episode. I think it's issue four. They're in space. The turtles are off in space, fighting monsters. And and
0: Peter wanted that so much. Yeah,
1: and Star Wars, obviously Star Wars, right? Like huge thing. And I mean the the reprint of. There's scenes in the fourth book that are the cantina scene in Star Wars. Like they That's were right. so you're, you're taking from pop culture. And I think my favorite thing that that was said in one of our interview one of our interviews for the, the upcoming subsequent Turtles documentary. Wait. You mean we have another? Mm. What? We have a whole other documentary sitting in the wings. I don't and there's a very important quote that that came out of out of Ciro Niali, the the creator of the 2012 CG animated show at Nickelodeon is that and I, to me it's the theme of everything about turtles. It's that turtles are synonymous with pop culture because they are a huge part of pop culture uh, from the 80s and 90s, um, specifically the 90s and, and onward. But they also consume and are of pop culture because they are teenagers growing up in the sewers. So the characters themselves, it's very meta. It's this meta cycle because the characters themselves well, consume the refuse and garbage of pop culture it, that comes down the sewer drain it's from post-modern. above. And then also they generate and then play within pop culture referenced, you know, things like Miller, Star Wars, etc., cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm, et cetera. Mm-hmm, and then other pop culture players come in, Usagi Yojimbo, Cerebus comes in and issue a, you know, different, other different characters literally weave within and out of they, it.
0: They yeah. pulled... Um uh, other artists in then and begin to yeah, expand well, the world, and that, and
1: that was also by necessity because once Kevin and Peter, being just two guys from from you know Massachusetts, I'm not even going to get where they're from right because of course they were born different parts. But well,
0: this is the thing: Kevin, Kevin's from somewhere else, and and there, Peter's from somewhere else. But Northampton, the, the, the Northampton is the where place. they're they're
1: building out. This franchise, they're running an entire global franchise, unlike yeah. any other ever themselves so that you can't continue being two guys doing comics black and white comics by themselves anymore so they the first that that first volume which goes for quite a few issues i think it's what 62 issues or so is um all of a sudden, after the first 10 or 11 issues, completely goes in a different direction. The, the, the plot narrative goes out the, the window. The art consistency goes out the window. You start getting interesting art, cool art, crazy art. And, and you know, there's some lovers and haters of that kind of thing. And they did that pretty much r- right near the beginning where, and I think the book is sitting in front of you, Rand, that when they started reprinting the book after the third or fourth mm-hmm. printing of the of the oversized books, they said, okay, let's make them a real comic sized. Mm-hmm. The first new printing of the second issue was the first time they brought in an outside artist, and they went, "What if we reached out to Richard right. Corbin?" Right. And, and of course, Kevin's a huge Richard Corbin fan from uh, from Den out of heavy metal, um, and everybody knew that kind of heavy metal underground. Um, Crazy 1970 sci-fi style that he was doing very airbrushy and weird. So I think that issue is sitting there. So if you pull out that, you'll see this is the first time you're seeing the turtles interpreted by somebody Corbin else. There. Right? Yeah. There it is. Yeah. So yeah, and obviously very Corbin uh interpretation <laughs> of, of April. <laughs> What's um, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's all about the cleavage. It is. But it's time and place, right? Yeah, exactly. The other yeah. thing that's interesting, if you're a collector, I mean, you might want to grab this yeah. because of the Corbin. This is not valuable, right? Right. Another thing you could grab if you wanted to have something that an artist, and again, this is a way to collect turtles, that's is right. to get different artists' takes, which is kind of fun.
1: Which is right. And, and the turtles have been literally reinterpreted countless times because... Mm-hmm. I'll give a, a brief overview. You go volume 1, 62 issues. Let me just bring up my screen again. Um, volume Oops. 1, 62 issues and then after a long while, up uh, you know some ups and downs which we'll get into later, you get you get into Volume 2, which they decide, let's go color, but we're going to still do it in, internally. Mm-hmm. That goes for a little while. Then they go, you know what? We don't really want to do comics anymore ourselves. We don't really have time. They hand it over to Image Comics, which that book is sitting right there. Image Comics with with um, uh, Eric Larson mm-hmm. and um, I'm going to f- blank on his name. Mark... Uh, Fosco, Frank, Frank Fosco. Fosco. Sorry, Frank Fosco, Oops. the artist. And actually, another okay, here's another key issue element. First, first couple of issues of, of uh, volume three. Pull that up on the overhead camera. There, um, you'll notice if you open that book, the art looks really weird. Yeah. And you're like, why does this look weird? it's because Frank was not told the book was going to be printed in black and white that's right so he was inking thinking it was going to be filled in color which he, is a very different process he's
0: leaving a lot of stuff on the table a lot of stuff so so yeah
1: right away right out of the gate not only did they start messing up the turtles because they said hey let's make them all look different by screwing them up physically he was actually making a mistake by going, whoops, this was supposed to be just a black and white book. But to
0: be fair, in this, you can once again see he's going Kirby Grabs as well,
1: right? 100%. He knows where everybody can see where the inspiration was coming from. So again, another weird reason why those first few, one or two issues of of Image are kind of an interesting thing to collect. It's a
0: cheap collectible. Let me hit one that I like that, that you and I have not really talked about much. Give me the overhead here. This Turtle Mania special.
1: When was that put? Like I don't. Eighty six. Eighty six. So and this was a promotional piece. Pre-pre cartoon coming out. That's right. They know something's coming. They know stuff's
0: happening, and yeah. they. I believe I'm going to get all the things wrong, but this was put out by a guy named Robert Wilson, and this is sort of like here's what's going on. Here's the, there's the numbers of the print run. Right. This was yeah. sort of like a. A peek inside, and it had a. Pin oh yeah. Up, and, yeah,
1: and those right? were really fun. The if yeah. you go back a page, those were the uh, the. T- there you go, the T shirt yeah. iron on. There you go. One shots and stuff like that. But yeah,
0: this particular one is the least valuable of yeah. the collectible. There's a gold edition, there's a prototype, there's a silver edition, which was limited to a hundred. The gold edition, there are ten of them. If you have the gold cover price, tells us oh it's super valuable. Um, I mean, in terms of would i go buy it no a thousand bucks right um and that's oh my god i can't even these prices have to be wrong we're not even gonna talk about these crazy prices the one i have this might be worth two or three hundred bucks and i picked it up for almost nothing Uh, i believe i paid four bucks for this it was sitting in a pile it looks like it was fan made right it does yeah that's why it's kind of tricky if you see this it might not in great shape i snapped it up because i knew about it and i thought oh wow you never see that anywhere and again i'm not going to sell it like by the way isaac and i are not selling turtle stuff no it's it's important to us because it's we have a, a place where we put things up that we work on but this is an interesting piece, and this one is not losing its value like some of the other Turtle stuff uh, because it's an unusual piece and yeah. because it's linked to the start of the franchise blowing out. Like that's there's right. It,
1: it's, all, it's time and place with a lot of this stuff that's really important because they they were exploding so quickly and yeah. content was was just flying out the door. Um, that, that started going in so many different directions. So volume one goes for quite a while. And then as things start coming down with the the bigger franchise, Kevin and Peter come back together. They finish out the ending arc. And like I say, they went and did a, a color volume right after. That it was basically just Peter and a few of the guys that, that was still the, at the studio. Image takes it over for 23 issues or so and get canceled before they resolve that uh, storyline because the the sales numbers were not good. We- um, the, the Then- in amongst there, they had tales of the turtles. Psy I was tank. just going to
0: say, we that's right. We can't cover all this. Not, I don't think you'll find anything collectible in the Archies. You know what I mean? Uh, the Archies.
1: The the end ones are, but there again, Archies starts coming out because let's give the kids a comic book that is put out by Archie Comics. That is here, here. that is the cartoon. Let's in, get an overhead
0: here, Nick. Yeah, and get them the cartoon
1: so in a in a book form. The first couple of issues, um, guys at Mirage were doing art based off the cartoon which is this is a fun this is a fun thing the first couple of issues they were going well let's go one-to-one do the cartoon scripts yeah in comic book form and mike dooney was doing the art and maybe not the one that's in front of you but he was doing the art and he didn't have a vhs of the cartoon so he was like no i'm sorry he got a vhs that he like copied off the television and he was like sitting there trying to pause it and find well, how are they drawing it? What's the scene? They basically had to mimic it from yeah. TV um, For, and, at the beginning. And then they went off in their own direction, did a whole run of, I think, 70, I wanna say like 72 issues of that, and then also spawned Mutanimals, which were the ancillary mutant characters. So that one, that's a whole chunk. And then much later uh, in 2001, um, Peter still owns the the franchise Turtles has more or less gone away from, from the mainstream. Mm-hmm. The, the, the the cartoon went for 10, 10 years. It was a live-action show. There was three, li- uh, three live-action films. Tales? Uh, Tales happened in the middle. There was an early Tales, but no. Then Peter comes back and says, you know what, I'm going to pick up the main story arc, assuming that image never happened. They just sort of say, ah, right. volume one, volume two, image doesn't happen, volume four comes up and basically continues the story of the Turtles' as characters growing up as adults. So it's very the way like Cerebus was kind of done where it just kind of goes through the ages except it's not necessarily a span that far. But it's like, they're not teenagers anymore. They haven't been for a while. So there's this 32 issue arc that he does from 2001 to 2015. It takes him that long to do and never really, I don't know if he ever really finishes it out. And And by the end of it, he was just doing it just to continue to, you know, I don't even know how many they were selling. It wasn't very much.
0: From a collector's perspective, let's—we don't want to do this all day, although we could, obviously. Mm-hmm. Let's jump to something that happened while we were making mm-hmm. the documentary, the first documentary. IDW comes in.
1: Yeah, and they buy. And well, they don't. They don't buy. They, they don't get the buy. License. They become
0: part of the Viacom yeah. license structure. That's right. And they really did something interesting that I think makes it more collectible again. Now, first of all, everybody knows about Jenica, right? That's, now Isaac doesn't know
1: much <laughs> about Jenica. I do, uh, I do. I just haven't picked up
0: my You, issue you yet. didn't pick up. Jennica comes in, I think uh, 51 was the cameo where she's introduced. When that happened, nobody, it wasn't on anybody's radar. It wasn't necessarily, I don't think it was collectible immediately. When 95 came out and it, it burst and there's a female turtle that was exciting that one goes raw for 28 dollars on cover price Mm -hmm. Uh, 51 i don't remember what that's going for right now but i want to talk about 95 and then we'll tell the story if you have a a a mint of 95 you know 100 bucks which for a 90w turtle book that's for real
1: that's for real because yeah right now like the first issue is only what in the 20s Um, 30s I would would be surprised yeah Yeah. I would be surprised I mean and and they did they did lots of fun things with that oh i should sorry i should say the first issue of uh the kevin the kevin cover is 115 oh, that, that
0: cover that's right and that's yeah. the fun they brought kevin back that's, that's what's right it's exciting
1: yeah exactly they brought they brought and they and they brought kevin back to do the layouts of the first few books which is kind of fun i mean the artist dan duncan didn't he you know, like he said in his, inter- his interview or i guess it was sorry kevin said in his interview much later um that you know dan didn't need kevin's layouts but it was kind of a really fun way to bring Kevin back in there and to and for Dan to kind of go, oh, cool, yeah. this is, here's the vibe. This is how it was. These are, you know, this is the guy's hand, one of the guy's hands that, you know, made this happen to begin with. So there is um, having Kevin come back and do the cover variants. And then, of course, at the first issue, they did single Turtles variants across the board. There's tons of oh, variants. Oh, we, my gosh. We, so we can't
0: talk about the variants yeah, right now. Yeah, it's
1: ridiculous. But, but that specifically, the Kevin, for me, coming into the idw books for at least the first while i tried my best to get the kevin covers because obviously you get the og but he uh they were hard to get after a while (laughs) but for me
0: what's exciting about that 95 and for Jenica, if you're a a turtle collector and you don't have 95 it's worth getting when you know the backstory on the female turtle that's right yeah that's what's interesting yeah
1: because when you get and this is just it when you get into the 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 real story, as as many people know, and is kind of widely maybe misreported, is the way that Kevin and Peter, or the fact that Kevin and Peter, sorry, no longer, say, worked together or saw eye to eye for many years. There uh, was a conflict, and that's well re- well reported. That's well reported, yes, but the kind of the why is never really well reported, and it and it's been widely speculated, and it's probably you know, we can maybe say here that it is probably mostly because, or the straw that broke the camel's back would be the female turtle they tried to introduce in, uh, or they did introduce in the live-action television show um, (laughs) put out by Saban Saban. in in the 1990s, or late 90s, which was um, uh, Next Mutation. Now, Next Mutation, just a side note, um, is kind of spawned from the fact that they were going to do a fourth live-action movie. That fourth live-action movie was going to incorporate a fifth a uh, fifth turtle mm-hmm. that was going to be a male turtle named Kirby, obviously named for Jack Kirby. Um, that film never happened. Some of that idea was brought over into the television show. Peter was dead set against having a female turtle um, brought into the fold, even though he was okay with having a fifth turtle uh, in general. Uh, that became a bone of contention between Kevin and Peter because they were already a lot of friction at that time. Running that franchise for that long at that point was probably crazy to be doing um, for just two, two guys. And then add to the mix that, okay, cartoon's going away. We need to keep this machine moving. Let's bring in a, uh, the fifth turtle. They, they, you know Saban wants it to be a female turtle. Kevin says yes, Peter says no. So there's obviously some, some big friction there around that decision. So and widely, you know, it's widely a panned decision. I don't think fans liked it or like it at all now. There's obviously a few out there that do enjoy that um addition. But and, they
0: like Jenica.
1: Yes. And I, I think it was really it was ahead of its time. Yeah, maybe I mean, indeed. It was maybe not mm-hmm. ready. You know, maybe we weren't ready for a female turtle, especially maybe put out by the Power Rangers crew. <laughs> but for, for
0: fifty dollars, let's say, a yeah. raw title, fifty bucks, you can get that ninety-five first printing. Um, there are some variants, obviously, a pile of variants. We won't go through all that, but you can get that piece. And when you know the history, the provenance yeah. of that is really exciting. That's and right. Kevin was excited to have Janica back. And it was a risk. It was a
1: risk for IDW to do it. and when Let's they give did, Tom Waltz props. Yeah. I mean, they, they did a lot of interesting things out the gate. They 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 pushed the origin story. They changed things a little mm-hmm. bit, which is a really smart idea because if you're... Um, sorry, are you saying fifty-two this whole time? Isn't it fifty-one? I did say fifty-one. Okay, uh, sorry, I thought you were saying fifty-two. No. Um, yeah, no, it, you know they they changed it to an actual reincarnation story and all these things. They were going, let's go left field a little bit here because why retread the same ground that has been done literally dozens of times um, or more? Uh, so yeah, doing c- coming back fifty-one issues in and going, hey, let's try this angle again, and this time it worked and it's still working. So.
0: People who are looking at turtles now and wondering, you know, am I going to go and buy hundreds of titles? Am I going to spend thousands on the originals? No, something new is happening that traces back to something old. And we'll remember a line that uh, Isaac will remember Megan Casey when she was at Nickelodeon. She said something in one of our interviews. She said, everybody gets their own turtles. One of the turtles that everybody's going to be getting... Back in 1987, Kevin and Peter worked together on something called The Last Ronin. I think IDW is going to find a way to bring that back. Is that not the case?
1: Yeah, I believe it looks like it. I think they've announced it anyway. And it looks like they're bringing back um, a story that Kevin and Peter were kind of speculatively working on at the time. Uh, And I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's kind of like a a future thing. It's like the last turtle is left. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the other thing, too. And I will add this in here is that... um, Peter found this quite poignant moment in some of the some of the comics they were producing later on, uh, where a story point that they had written together, or he didn't write together, so he wrote and uh, Jim Jim Lawson drew. There was this moment in one of these panels where they realized the turtles themselves realized they are the last of their kind within that story context. Mm-hmm. So you go for this to be taken to this this Ronan uh, story um, is actually kind of really cool because it is. The end of this massive arc, if you were to include the, even though it's not a linear arc from the first volumes that Kevin and Peter did, they re, they rebooted obviously in IDW, but in a way, in my, in my feeling, that kind of represents the last of, the, you know, the whole thing uh, in, in the comics universe anyway. Um, that these are the last of their kind. There will no be no more turtles. There's no female turtles. Well, <laughs> in, in, in that timeline. Yeah, that's right. But f-
0: as far as other media goes, the Turtles go on and on and on. on like and you on could, forever. You could collect stuff, Turtles and Batman now, right? Yep. Didn't Kevin tell us he loves Freddie Williams' work in that? Yeah,
1: Freddie Williams comes in. And, and, and one of the, the great things is that because Turtles has touched so many people for so many generations now, or a few generations now, that people like Freddie Williams are coming in mm-hmm. going, holy cow, I get to work on Turtles? That's amazing. I loved them as a kid. Here they are. And I, I, still, I still maintain that for whatever reason, multitudes of reasons, Turtles is that kind of weird thing that you probably loved as a plastic toy when, when you were a kid in the early 90s, that it's totally awesome to still love that plastic toy and they do carry on. Um, and obviously lots of brands are like that now, but for a while there, I think Turtles was that one that you could really carry with you like that. And, and we're seeing that with the artists that are coming back now. They have a lot of love for, for this franchise.
0: And the last thing we should end on, um, again, we could do this forever. Mm. There's another thing that you can collect. And I don't know if, Isaac, you're going to know what I'm going to say. If you're a, a turtle collector or if you're looking, where can you get in? There's turtle something. underwear. No, I'm already wearing mine right uh, okay, now. Okay, fair. Uh, we're talking comics only. Fair. Drawing blood. <laughs>
1: Yes. Ah, ah. Right. So
0: for people who don't know, yeah. Kevin worked with a writer named David Avalone, and they came up with a
1: allegorical story. A
0: very surprisingly <laughs> biographical, autobiographical story. It I would describe it as a must collect. If you're a yes. turtle fan, and yeah. I don't know how big it sold, to be honest. I didn't well, check it, it up on cover price. It was it not a Kickstarter exclusive? They tried to bring it out. I saw it in Golden Apple in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah, you're right. right. They
1: they subsequently brought it. That's right. Yeah.
0: But what I'm telling you right now is you need to get it. If you're a Turtle fan and you're collecting, I'm I'm going there very quickly now in cover price. You can get it for cover price or less, but it's particularly interesting and poignant when you know some of Kevin's backstory and you're reading about, tell me what it is, the radically rearranged ragdolls. Ronan
1: Ragdolls, I think. Ronins, yeah. Yeah, Ronin Ragdolls. I think you had it almost It's right. a
0: it's a postmodern revisionist autobiographical story about yep. Kevin Eastman. And it's or purportedly about a character based on Kevin Eastman. It's written by David Avellone, who's is a very good writer and it's a it's a great story. I found it very touching actually. Yeah. And the craziest thing, Isaac, is that you and I are characters in that freaking story. I
1: I think, you know, the camera adds a few pounds. I get that. It also
0: adds gender.
1: But I didn't know that, A, the camera does, I mean, I knew that. The camera adds a few pounds. But pencils add a lot more pounds (laughs) and can adjust gender. I mean, it was like as easy as that. You became a redheaded woman. I did. And I became a really fat young guy with a camera.
0: And we became Quebecers. And Quebecois. Mm-hmm. Mm. So this is a crazy place <laughs> for us to stop. You started this by saying somehow we became part of the world. That's right. We literally became part of the world. Yeah. It's it's not fair that he didn't put Mark Hussey in, our yeah. other partner in definitive he, film. He,
1: he didn't see Mark that much. Mark hides in the shadows with his Oops. computer. Unfortunately, Mark
0: is an editor, so he is always no. here. Uh, he's here right now with Nick of he's course. He's hiding.
1: You literally can't see him right now.
0: But I want to say for cover price you can buy drawing blood and I think they're going to release the radically rearranged Ronin. They, they, ra- they have
1: they, they've they've released yeah. some certain like single issues of the allegorical version of the turtles within his that universe, yeah.
0: And it's on an upward trend and I think yep. Kevin Eastman will not stop putting stuff out. No. I think if you're going to, you know, you can't get the most expensive things, maybe you can. You can find little tidbits here and there to collect that will be meaningful and will be interesting for a long time.
1: Well, you know what it is? It's going to be the action figures of us in Drawing Blood. That's the big thing. That is, that's it. Uh,
0: You know, you remember the action figures I thought we should create? Monsters of Doc. Yeah. You, they have you, there's Mark, there's Eugene Jarecki, there's, you know. Oh, Oh, yeah. Ken Burns. I'm Ken That's the one I would collect, yeah, is the Ken for Burns. For sure,
1: yeah.
0: Well, listen, this is a first... I would describe this as a very long episode. Mm. Uh, we dove deep. That's what we do, though. Definitive deep dives. We looked at a number of key issues. Is there anything you would say in ending, something you would tell people if they're going to start collecting turtles, if they're going to try and spend their money carefully and wisely. We know one thing, they should get cover price, become a member at cover price. That's right. That way you can track and -hmm. you can figure out what you can afford and what you can and what you can sell and what you can buy. Is there something you would say to people about turtles, Um, some advice you might give them as a longtime turtle collector who's thrown all kinds of uh, assets at Turtles over the years?
1: Oh, man. I mean, I guess the cool thing about... Here's the thing with Turtles, I find, is that there there are as many ways into collecting Turtles as there are, obviously, as there are iterations of them, and there are many. So you can come in from a lot of different angles and discover whole new universes that you didn't know mm-hmm. from cartoons and movies and things that you remember. But the thing that's crazy about them is that... that You know, if you want to collect them all, if you want to go hunting, there's a lot to collect. There's a lot to try to get and try to find. And which is interesting because some of these prices aren't that high, but they're really hard to find. The bins Mm. at at comic book stores are going to be very, very, very small in terms of back issues like old Archie's and old first and second and third volumes. Mm. They're hard to get your hands on. They actually are difficult to find, even if their prices aren't high. They're, you know... They, and I've spent a lot of years hunting for them. And I'm, if, if there's magic stores that have everything, you know, tell me where they are because <laughs> I've got I've got a lot of them. There's like one or two that I'm missing. More more or less everything's there. But yeah, they're a book that's that's unique because you can go out and, like I say, find literally there are many to find. But they're hard to find so if you want to collect them all you're going to be hunting for a long time
0: i'll add two more things to that it's good if you're an adult and you want something for your children or right. for younger people that you know and some comics you kind of don't want young people to get the, there's always a turtle line that will be good for kids and the second thing there's nobody more approachable than kevin eastman you can get stuff signed with a beautiful sketch of your own and it will look nick do you want to give us a, an overhead it'll look vaguely like that so if yeah. you go, whoops, sorry, yeah. if you go to a show, yeah. Kevin Eastman and his lovely wife, Courtney, they're at a lot of shows, he is, we've seen him sign and talk and 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 spend time with all his fans. Yeah. And we heard one story that will go out on, uh, a Boston Comic-Con, not very well attended, giant lineup for him, the con is over, he's signing to the last person in the line. Yeah. So if you're a fan, you can get something signed and that's always a nice treat and it's always nice to put up so that adds a bonus there yeah. uh peter very private person and yeah. bless him for it he's you're not going to get something signed by him um well but you can it's, find it's it ra- there. it's
1: rare but when he when he does an appearance yeah. you got to find him yeah. you got to get there and, and he's not going to travel so no, you got go to go to the east coast you got to go yeah. to the northeast i think i think megan casey has the the best quote of the day here is that everybody yeah. gets their turtles yeah They can, anybody can find something in in this franchise, which is why it's evergreen. And you should get yours too.